the heartfelt time we spend at the Haas house will always be among our most beautiful holiday memories. My name is Matthew Kroll. And his special skill is turning theory into practice. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Zone of Interest. Interesting zone that we're in. That is a very <sighs> interesting one. I felt awkward just saying that. So interesting, <laughs> in fact, we knew that we were not uh, interesting enough. This is all not working None well. None of this is good. Uh, Will's here. Will Tepper's here. Hi, buddy. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Are you going to help us uh, like dig ourselves out of these? Like, I mean, we don't know. Uh, is it okay to crack wise during this episode? D I, during the episode, yes. Yeah. I don't think topically. No. No. Will? I, what you, I mean, what's I you, understand entirely. I... Um, to, I, I, I left the theater feeling a little ashamed of myself because I was in a packed house and we did clap at the beginning of the AMC um, Nicole Kidman ad. Oh. And then, oh. we're, in, and then oh. we're immediately humbled by the viewing experience of <laughs> interest. So yeah. I was like, hmm, interesting. But Will, the other reason I wanted to bring you here is that you have also been visiting a number of other screens. Did you actually go to uh, to Park City or, or was it remote? I did. I, I went over there. Um, Sundance, I, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was going to follow it up oh, yes. with like, yes, you went to Sundance. <laughs> yes, I went I went out to uh, Sundance Film Festival um, uh, for 10 days back in January. Ooh. And my, I'm from there originally. So oh. I have family there. So yeah. I was able to stay with family yeah. and see uh, a number of movies. Majority of them were in Salt Lake City. Two of them were in Park City. How is I've never been to Sundance. Matt, you've never been to Sundance? No. Tell us what the, and this isn't your first year that you went. No, this so, is my fourth. Wow. Yes. Tell yeah. us, tell us what the Sundance experience is like. The vibes. Um, honestly, uh, I love it there. And I think that it's an incredibly accessible film festival. Mm -hmm. I've lived in New York for 12 years now, and I know nothing about how to get mm -hmm. to see anything at Tribeca or New York Film Festival. Yeah. But Sundance is easy and pretty affordable for a ticket, $30 if you want to see an individual movie. And since the pandemic, they've been doing online screenings, yeah. which you can watch remotely from anywhere for yeah. also just like, I believe $30 after tax as well. Yeah. Um, and it's a pretty incredible experience. So yeah, I've gone, I've gone four times. I went the first time in 2007, then 2008, and then a 15 year gap. Wow. And then back in 2023. <laughs> You're like Terrence Malick. Yeah. You took like a, t a 15 yeah. year gap. Uh, a big long break and yeah. my slumber is over and now I'm back to the movies. And now every year I go, I, I have a goal to just beat the number of movies I saw the year before. So and how many movies did you see this time? I saw 18 this time. 18 <laughs> movies. So that's at least most days, two a day. Most days, two. Right. Some one, a few, three. Wow. wow. So... It was. Uh, I it think was we should break down each of those eighteen into an individual episode that we can put out as content. Of course, for the next uh, each one of weeks. those is a minute long. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. <laughs> a, a quick, yeah, a, a quibby, if a, you will. Exactly, a quibby. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Are there children alive that don't know what quibby is now? Because it was like there's only like that real thin age gap of like conscious knowledge. Twenty twenty, right? I worked on a quibby show. Did you, did Listen, you we all you worked on Quibi shows. No, I mean, right. Like I was, but like the, uh, separation, you know, is yeah. one. So like <laughs> of church and state yeah. or the separation of like, uh, of people I know, you know, yeah. it's for me. Yeah. It yeah. Is, it was uh, at least small. one Quibi between oh, people. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I was really curious what the, of the films you saw, what stood out to you? 
What can you tell us about? Because Sundance, yeah. as most people know, is going to be the barometer for the, and mostly the independent films that come out later in the year. However, a few notable um, Sundance features, I believe everywhere, everywhere, every, everyone, everywhere, all everything, of everywhere. everywhere, all of them. We came from Sundance. <laughs> yeah. Every one of those things <laughs> every at every those, place. I was going to say this year, I know we have Past Lives premiered there. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some others. But yeah, so this year I went, some of them I had already known of beforehand that I was excited to see Hitman. Yeah. already been at some Richard festivals. Film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that had, so the, not a premiere there, this, which is really interesting. Usually they like, try to premiere everything. Yeah, that's what I so thought. So this was interesting. This had already kind of screened at many film festivals and here it is again. I think the interesting thing is that they didn't have a distributor, right? Uh, well, I think Netflix had already had it. So oh. I guess Netflix wanted to like have a little bit of a premiere. Actually, it did. The teaser trailer dropped like yeah. the day that it was premiering, quote unquote, at yeah. Sundance. Mm. Um, so I got to see that Love Lies Bleeding, the new uh, yep. A24, Kristen Rose, Stewart, uh, Rose Mold, Glass. Rose Glass. Right? Yep. Yeah. That's, yes. uh, I was able to see that. Uh, and Suncoast, I believe, was the other one that I'd already like there's was a trailer for and was Hulu. Uh, I'm not familiar with Suncoast. Now, I it's like it's a Hulu movie with um, Laura Linney and Woody Harrelson, semi-autobiographical about um, a woman who had to who was growing up in high school and her brother was admitted to the. Uh, Sun Coast, which was a um, hospice care at, in 2005, the exact same time as Terry Schiavo, which was like a right. whole big news story. So this was like her life was uh, very personal. This was very personal to her, but also kind of part of a larger news story. It was also a good movie. But yeah, everything else was kind of um, new to me. I think my favorite that I saw was a documentary, Will and Harper, about oh, Will Ferrell. Will right? Ferrell and mm. um, longtime friend Harper Steele yeah. going on a road trip together. That I was just so good and so funny and so moving uh so when that comes out i recommend it to i'm, I'm really to looking see. forward to seeing that yeah yeah um i'm pulling up my list here i made a list yeah on, letterbox on, uh, list, right? on letterbox tattoo uh w temp for at letterbox <laughs> <laughs> oh oh uh my second favorite uh, after one harper was thelma it yeah. is a June Squibb heist comedy. Yeah. and in a perfect world it would make a billion dollars because right. i think it is absolutely perfect they edit it like uh, an action movie in the beginning she's watching she's literally watching a mission impossible movie and she's like oh my gosh this tom cruise guy <laughs> crazy and so they they have scenes of her walking down the street and they edit it or they they they, they film it with like with like just long tracking shots with music as she as if she's like an action star and honestly june squibb is walking a lot <laughs> in this movie in her 90s she yeah. is all over the place um that was uh, a great one. And uh, some lot of horror. I really wanted to make sure I saw a lot of horror. They have a whole section just for horror. Their midnight yeah. section is either horror or um, kind of like dark comedies. Um, yeah. But I think the breakout last year was Talk to Me, right? And Talk to Me, yes. Yeah. And so what was the, what, what kind of worked for you this year? Um, there was uh, In a Violent Nature, which is kind of like a Friday the 13th Jason type killer where the movie is shown entirely from his perspective, not like his POV, but we follow him. We follow this mass killer emerging from the grave in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and we ju just follow him stalking uh, young people in the woods. And it right. was so interesting. <laughs> it was so like, there's it, it, it's interesting because like, I could see it not being everyone's cup of tea because it's, we're watching a man walking a yeah. lot. 
But then they have these crossover between her and, and June Squibb. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of walking. Movies. Yeah. Uh, and then we have um, then we then we have these kills that are done with practical prosthetic effects that are just so wild and realistic that uh, it is hard to watch, mm. and I, it is incredible. <laughs> um, so when that comes out, I recommend that. Not sure about the distributor. Of the, oh, it might be a Shutter film. Okay. Actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, ooh, I've got to see a Steven Soderbergh movie. Oh, his presence. New, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a first person perspective. It's a POV of a ghost in a yeah. house or yeah. like a spirit in a house. You're not really sure what they, they call yeah. it presence. Uh, the title of the movie is presence. And they sort of refer to this as a presence because they don't know what is happening in this house. And that's got Lucy Liu in it. Yeah. Um, how did and, it play? Like the last couple of, uh, I think it was the laundromat that played at, uh, the last, Last couple of Sundances that Annie Gillies told us about. Yep. She wasn't a fan. I watched it and I was like, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit of a miss. But uh, his last couple of films, um, No Sudden Move, I absolutely adored. I'm yeah. a big Soderbergh fan. How is retirement retreating to Steven Soderbergh? Right. Definitely hit or miss, I think, because yeah. it is not a horror movie. Don't go into it thinking it's a horror movie. It is really, you know, it's voyeuristic. It's, mm -hmm. it's You're following a family drama, but there are some like horrifying things in it is um, it based around what is in the presence no it's it's sort of <laughs> like they're just giving each other gifts it's, it's they're like Santa, i yeah, already exactly have right. right we're following a christmas morning uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's an hour and a half of christmas morning yeah <laughs> presents um, yeah presents yeah oh, it's a twist <laughs> um yeah um but i also have a lot of blind spots a lot of the ones that were being talked about i didn't get to see there was this jesse eisenberg riley keogh yeah. sasquatch movie oh yeah. yeah i heard uh i heard not so great things i can't remember yeah. the directors but they did um the uh the film about the the woman who comes to america um because of fargo and i forgot oh Kim Kim kimoko the treasure hunter i think it was called or kumiko the treasure hunter it was, it was the directors of that film was the sasquatch movie okay yeah uh, sorry random in, trivia yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, the, that one has got a lot of, uh, um, I, I was in the theater waiting for another movie. I was waiting in line, had to get there early, wanted a good seat. So I was waiting in line and I could hear the grunting of the Sasquatches oh. in the theater and a lot of walkouts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard that one. Didn't some people who did see it loved it. And yeah. right, some people who also saw it gave it, you know, half star. And Eisenberg yeah. had another film, A Real Pain. A Real Pain. Real that, pain. Did you see that? I did see that one as well. That was what I was curious about, too. And that one is interesting because um, it follows uh, Eisenberg and um, uh, Kieran, um, Culkin. Kieran Culkin. Yeah. And they are um, visiting their grandmother's homeland while also visiting um, a concentration camp, which yeah. is a segue into yeah. and we're going tonight. But they take a different, you know, it's not a zone of interest approach. It is a... It's f a family drama-ish. It's a comedy. Um, that one wasn't for me. Really? Uh, I felt like I was watching Kieran Culkin just be uh, Roman Roy again, and right. it was. And I was watching Jesse Eisenberg be Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg, and and it, it just didn't work for me. Something about it. Uh, yeah. Oh, but there was this other movie I didn't get to see called I Saw the TV Glow. Right. Yeah. Another horror that everyone was talking about. Yeah. And um, that just didn't work in my schedule. Like. I, there were some that I want to see that were sold out. So then I booked other movies and then some other screenings popped up, but I already had uh, other movies booked. So didn't get to see it. What do you, th there's usually an interesting thing that happens around Sundance, which is that sometimes some movies have like huge bidding wars on them, but sometimes we don't actually see those films or, you know, like um, the actual distribution doesn't tend to work out in their favor. 
Yeah. What which which film did you see? And this is not, you know, prescriptive by any means, but which was the film you see that you bank we're gonna be talking about in about six months' time, six or seven months' time? Um, I definitely are gonna be talking about Will and Harper. Yeah. Uh as far as like documentaries go, I think that that will be talked about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Thelma, God, I hope so. Yeah. Hitman, I thought we would, but just with its distribution, just going straight to streaming on Netflix, just makes me think it'll just get lost. It'll just be put up and then lost. And you, you thought it was very good. It was very good. Yeah. Yeah. See, you, did I, you see Realm of Satan? I did not see Realm of Satan, but that is also a documentary, right? About mm-hmm. or no, 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 it's not a documentary. Oh, I can't remember. Experimental but it, portrait depicting Satanists in both everyday and the extraordinary as they uh, fight to preserve their lifestyle. A, a friend of friend of mine yes. actually produced that film. Really? Yeah. I was in Kate Burke. It's so it's interesting too. Seeing like I saw eighteen movies and I felt like I had an incredibly full plate, but there's just so many movies to see. Yeah. And so I. I, I think, and a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of them were available for streaming at home. And yeah, I think if anyone has a chance in the you know next year to see a Sundance movie, they absolutely can and they absolutely should. What are some, yeah. before we move on then, what are some insider tips to going to, going to the Sundance? Yeah, what, what should people yes. do and then not do if they are physically What, sh- what shoes should they wear? Um, oh, yes. Uh, cushions you bring. Be prepared to stand. Oh, well, this was a, a trivial year because I was a ticket holder. I had bought um, back in September a package of tickets. I bought 10 tickets. And uh, then in January, they released the um, well, in December, they released what movies are going to be playing. And then yeah. in January, they release the schedule. And then in early January, it's like second Tuesday, they give you a time slot to buy tickets. And um, locals get first dibs and then everyone else gets um, second dibs. Uh, since I, I I am not a resident of Salt Lake City anymore or of Utah anymore, and I do not have a in-state license, I'm right. no longer a local. You can't borrow your Even though I co-own yeah. my sister's home there. So it's like, <laughs> I have mail being sent there. I should try to get another driver's license. We'll see. Right. Um, so I, so by the time I wanted to book some movies, they were sold out. So I had to like kind of figure it out. But you could be also a pass holder, and some passes are very expensive. You like there's four thousand dollars for like a second half of the of the festival. But there's also cheaper pass holders that were like Salt Lake City passes that were unlimited. You could see any movie in Salt Lake City, even if it's sold out, you just get in the pass holder line. And pass holders get first dibs when you're being seated. Right. So there were some movies I went to go see, like this movie Freaky Tales, that's got like a big cast, like Pedro Pascal. Um uh, Normani, um, uh, directed by the, uh, the, the two directors of, um, Captain Marvel. So it was like, it had a lot of hype to it. People thought they could go see Pedro Pascal do a, um, Q and a. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I was probably like 10th in line in the ticket holders and they, um, allotted three theaters for the screening and they had filled all three of them almost completely full with pass holders. So they had to turn away (laughs) over a hundred ticket holders. So, so uh, I think a big tip is if you can buy a pass and there's some um, unlimited passes for 18 to 25 year olds uh, for $250, unlimited amount of movies in Salt Lake city for $250, which, which like I said, I had 18 tickets, six, 14 of them were in Salt Lake city. Two of them were park city. Two of them were online. Yeah. So you can see a ton of movies in Salt Lake City. Um, you may, and these movies also will show three to four times. 
Um, the first one usually has the big names there, but um, almost all the screens will have somebody doing a Q&A if it's just a producer or a director, mm -hmm. which is still good to see. So uh, I recommend, you know, not really um, uh, putting all your eggs into the first screening basket. Go to the, for the second or the third or the fourth. Right. Because you can get a better seat and you can um, definitely get in past the pass holders if you're a ticket holder like me. What do they do? Uh do they refund your ticket? They do. They so they, they did refund. They had to refund a lot of tickets. But then also people who don't have tickets and don't have passes can sign up for waitlist and they get in if there's an empty seat. So this then, seems very complicated. So then we know that nobody. <laughs> oh man! So in 2008, 2007, when I was in high school and I went, I didn't know how to get tickets back then. So I just did a waitlist and I would. Uh, my first movie I saw was Gregoraki Smiley Face. Oh yeah, starring Anna <laughs> Ferris. I waited in line eight hours to see wow. that premiere. And you know what I got in? And I got a picture with Gregoraki and Anna Ferris and it was great. <laughs> but it was eight hours in the cold in Park City, in the snow. Right. Uh, now, most of these places have covered line, you know, waiting places. So that's yeah. great. But uh, yeah, wear coats, wear yeah. sensible shoes if you're going to wait there and stand. How about, so, uh, how about the parties or anything like that? Did you go to any of those? Not this year or last year, no. And I think that pass holders can go into any of them. Honestly, there was a movie I did see in Park City that was on Main Street at the Egyptian Theater. And I got out of the movie around midnight and I'm walking down to my, where I parked and I passed by a lot of parties. And I th thought about checking them out, but I just truly did not know like how or if I had access to them. Yeah. If uh, if I even wanted to go to them. I don't know. Here's so a fun secret about parties. You have access to them if you can get in. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I am a consummate party crasher. My, I, I, I know it's more difficult to do in some places than others, but depending on what parties it is, remember what, what did, I was trying to look it up that Willem Dafoe movie we went and saw together that we waited in line outside in the cold in New York. Inside. With. Inside. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, remember how they were making it like such a big deal? Like, oh, well, you guys got to wait here because we got the people trying to get Willem to sign Spider-Man 1 merch is here. But then the cast and crew were doing their thing and you cannot mix. And we're like, OK, we're so sorry. <laughs> and then the movie happened. They moved us into a second theater to keep the riffraff away. Again, keeping us very separate from the premiere night. And then when it was over. They just kicked all of us out into the lobby together. <laughs> and I was like, so are we? in the party now like yeah, we were with the riffraff it, i saw billy magnus magnuson he, he wasn't in the movie he was just there for the premiere and yeah. he, i'm like they, they spent right the they entire spent all night separating us and then they just threw everyone anyway you can go to any party you can get into That's absolutely the point. absolutely yeah. Yeah, so as as Matt figured out that night, I'm I'm a big line stander. I will stand in line for. for we waited a, long a while, time. and again, that was a fun night, even I, though like we were cold and it was wet, and I was complaining. But yeah. uh, I look back on that night fondly because it's just such a fun little nonsense. Yeah, story. as far as like all the movies I've ever stood in line for, that was definitely the weirdest, <laughs> longest one. Like we didn't get in until way after the movie was supposed to start. It was right. so strange. Yeah. And then we had our own theater for ourselves. Like they couldn't load us in any earlier. It was the oddest. It thing. was super strange. <laughs> it was the oddest thing. But yeah, like I waited in line for 10 hours for Shia LaBeouf's All My Movies yeah. in yeah. 2015. Well, you've been immortalized because you're behind him for so long. Yeah, and then I did get a seat directly behind him for his live stream, and, it, for, and I stayed in for another 10 hours. It was a whole experience, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I will. I will wait for a movie. You I will go, wait in line for a movie. Of all of my friends, you are you go above and beyond for the cinematic experience. It's true. I <laughs> I need to go see a movie in a theater. If there's one thing about me, that's that's it. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, one thing uh, we mentioned Thelma uh, earlier with June, June Squibb watching a Mission Impossible movie. Gentlemen, in front of you is a special treat which I have bequeathed upon you because I waited a month for this to arrive. Uh, are you familiar with the, the famed Tom Cruise white chocolate coconut cake? Bunt cake. I mean, Josh. I am because you won't shut up about it. <laughs> well, well, we had Josh Hart and we had on, Josh on, and Josh and when, talked about and it. We are talking about the Tom Cruise cake. By you, I mean the royal you. Everyone <laughs> yeah. won't shut up about <laughs> but, but, it. Well, I do you know? Do you know do, about I, this? I, well, no, do you, do you, no. I, okay. I, I, I'm excited to learn. Yes. Okay. Well, it, it is it is famed upon the stars that uh, every year, if you are amongst the inner circle of Tom Cruise's friends, you will receive on your doorstep a a a freshly packed. Uh, white chocolate coconut bundt cake uh, from a particular bakery that only he will gift to you with a signed card from him. And people have raved about this particular cake for many years. Um, Tom Hanks raves about this cake. Many people rave about this cake. Josh Horowitz actually just did, did an interview with John Krasinski. Uh, no, not jo um, sorry, the not John Krasinski. Uh, the director of Top Gun Maverick. Um, uh, I've I've gone blank on his name, but he also directed Tron Legacy and um, uh, Oblivion with Tom yeah. Cruise. It's any, not Macquarie. No, are there like not Macquarie? Yeah, I instantly went to Macquarie. No, it's not Macquarie. It's it's uh oh, why have I gone? It's Joseph, it's Joseph Kaczynski. Joseph Kaczynski. Oh, right. There yeah, we go. Yeah, okay. um, and he talked about the fact that there are actually different tiers of cake that you can receive from Tom Cruise. So this is actually the lowest. Oh. <laughs> in well, the, we are in the outer circle. And just to be clear. I did not. I I am not on the Tom Cruise list. I was good. I, yeah. I found. I discovered that you can just actually on GoldBelly.com, not sponsoring this episode, just purchase the cake uh, from Joan Bakery in Los Angeles. And I, let me tell you, uh, this cake cost me a pretty penny, All and right. I had to wait a solid month and a half for this cake to arrive. And um, and you've I, had a piece of it already. I'm I, sure. I had a little. I I left the house today because we we've kept it in the freezer sure. since we got it. And today I was like, you know what? People are coming to the podcast. Will is going to be there. Let's, and, and what better movie than Zone of Interest to have a piece of cake with? Um, so I thought I'd crack open a, a little um, quarter of the cake. And, uh, and we did have a sliver of it before I left the house. So shall we, yeah. before the review of the film. What a delicious tonal whiplash we're going to be having. I well, think. you could just say thank you for the cake. I, thank yeah, you for the thank cake. Thank you for the cake. <laughs> Um, all right. This being an audio media. This is great. So we got it. Dear yeah. listeners. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. We're ASMR making more here. clanking or noises. We all take a, yeah. Yeah. Hold on. I'm getting it. I'm Wait for it. That's a really good cake. That's a pretty good cake. That's, that's, a, that's a really good cake. That's really rich. That is good. Good for Joan. Go Joan. <laughs> yeah. Joan, How did Joan get into this? I'm not sure. I apparently, uh, let me just make sure that it is correct. It is jo Joan Bakery in Los Angeles. Let me just let me make sure I'm. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. Yes, I want to give credit where yeah. credit is due for the cake. It is delicious. Thank you, Tom Cruise. Well, thank you, oh, thank you, Dad, for bringing the cake. I apologize. Oh. It is not Joan's Bakery. I've got Kaczynski wrong and mixed with Krasinski. I've got Joan mixed with Do Dones. Oh. Dones Bakery. Go um, Dones. Dones Bakery. D, uh, D O A N. And uh, this cake, it is expensive. It is $125 plus shipping. It was um, shipping. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so you got to pay. So shipping will get you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what a delicious cake. I've been watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show. Right. Ooh. How do you think this cake would fare on the Great British Baking um, Show? I'm trying to summon my inner Paul Hollywood uh -huh. and Prue. Um, 
it seems like it's it's proven quite nicely and mm. um the, the decadence of it's, i don't know it's a very hard. moist cake yeah it's very moist well gentlemen um to 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 reinforce the tonal whiplash that we have just been discussing do you want to finish the cake by the way before we before we continue no we're if gonna we eat, keep going like or, this or are we gonna eat cake during our zone of interest discussion i don't know you did this man and it, <laughs> cake's in my hand yeah before, i might be sneaking a couple bites me, here okay there. fair we'll enough see. Uh, Zone of Interest is a movie I'm very excited about. It is, of course, uh, nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Will, you were here at Matt's Christmas party and we started talking about it. And I mentioned to you that I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Glazer, um, particularly his early music videos. There is a box set of um, music videos you can get, which includes Chris Cunningham, Spike Jones, Mark Romanek. Uh, Jonathan Glazer is one of them. And it is a prized possession in my household uh, to have this. This will be passed down through the generations. Uh, it is. It is the, the box set is one of the great... Um, one of the greatest film learning tools you can have. It is it is full of really interesting. And Jonathan Glazer's work, I have always been enamored by. Um, I'm gathering both of you. You know, it's interesting. I, I mentioned this to a couple of people this week um, who have never, ever seen the Jamiroquai Virtual Insanity music video. Who hasn't seen the Jamiroquai Virtual Insanity video? Anyone born after the year 2005. They, wait, they exist? <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of people have not seen the Virtual Insanity uh, music video. And, and honestly, when I showed it to a couple of youngins this week, uh, they were they were like, oh, that's cool. And they, they didn't realize the cultural impact that video had. I, I don't know if it was for you guys, but it was like everywhere. It's been parodied on The Simpsons, on Family Guy. Uh, it is one of the great music videos of all time, right? And it's funny because like I can't pinpoint to when I saw it for the first time. It just sort of feels like it's just sort of been a part of like it's the always guys, the music yeah. video yeah. culture. Right. Yeah. You just are aware of it. And yeah. and like, it's funny, like the song Virtual Insanity is catchy and it's, it's great. fine. I love it. I, 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 I don't think it's great. I think really? it's fine. But I the, love but, Jamiroquai. But the, but the music video has elevated it to a point that like now, even when we say that, like before I like picture or, or I can hear in my head the song, which I can it's always the music video's imagery first. And that doesn't normally happen with an artist for me. Right. Like, so the, the, the level that this music video and the style of it that is drilled into not only my subconscious, but I feel like the subconscious of just music video production yeah. uh, is great. I don't think anyone's emulated that video. I don't think anyone has ever done anything similar. So, and, and I don't think anyone's ever come to the sort of level of, I think uh, what's interesting about that video is the way in which the idea perfectly meshes with the song. Yeah. I, I don't think any, like very few people have ever done that. I mean, I could maybe point to a couple of Justin Timberlake videos with Francis Lawrence um, that, that, you know, come pretty close in terms of dance and choreography, but very few do what that video does. And OK Go does a portion of it, but not. It's not the same thing. Okay, the I was going to say, it's like, OK Go feels like inspired by that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. OK Go feels like a stunt. But yeah. they're right. They yeah. have a different gimmick that's, yeah. that's separated from that. And it's more live, I Absolutely. think, as well. Yeah, like we're going to dance on treadmills and then or get mm. zero gravity or like whatever. Like, but yeah. Um, the other ones were um, Karma Police, the Radiohead track, I think, you know, that they that he did a version for. Um, a video for and um, uh, Uncle uh, Rabbit in the Headlights is an incredible music video. That one I did show to someone today um, who hadn't seen it and their mind was blown by that video. It's an <laughs> incredible video. Um, also, their commercials. I think I showed you a Wrangler commercial yeah. that Jonathan Glazer had done. And there's something about his quality of work, which is that um, like Spike Jones and maybe David Fincher, 
there's a level of, and even Michelle Gondry, there's a level of inventiveness to his videos, but they're also mirrored in a kind of grime and a sort of dark undertone to it, which is not unlike his actual films have been. So um, I don't know if you saw uh, Sexy Beast or Birth or Under the Skin. So I haven't seen any of his films. I've only seen his music videos. Okay. Birth, yes, I've seen. Under the Skin, I have not. That was a blind spot. And I actually had tickets to go see it because A24 put it back in theaters a few months ago. And I had to cancel last minute. Really? kind of upset. So you still haven't seen it? Still haven't seen it because I really wanted to watch it in theaters. And I was like, I'll watch it eventually. But no, only Birth is where I've seen it. Oddly, and I'm going to say this now tentatively, it might be more upsetting than Zone of Interest. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's a blind spot. Really? It, It might be more upsetting than Zone of Interest. It's a very upsetting film. Uh, there is one scene in in Under the Skin which has literally got under my skin and will never leave. Ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and Under the Skin has, in my opinion, a one of the best scores ever done. Also uh, by Michael Levy, who was in uh, who who scored a Zone of Interest. Um, but one of the single most horrific images ever conjured in a movie theater in a, in a, in a movie that I have ever seen in a it, you know. In a movie, sitting in a movie theater, um, it it's it's a single moment that I would say ranks up there as probably one of the greatest horror moments wow. of all time. Okay, like of all all time. That's uh, and I've and I've, party. I've, yes. I've watched a lot of Gaspar Noé as well. So um, you know, like this this really there's a moment in, in Under the Skin that really terrified me. I watched Sixty Beasts for the first time this week uh, just to catch up. I still haven't seen Birth because I I kind of I think I, my wife would like Birth. Uh, the movie, not the activity. Um, so I'm waiting to do that. that. That is the Nicole Kidman sort of haunted by the the spectral figure of her past uh, film, which I'm very curious about. Tom Cruise? Uh, it's a, <laughs> y- y- well, you know, no, no. Um, <laughs> I was trying to bring it back to the cake. <laughs> uh, bring it back to the cake. Before we bring it back to the cake, tell us what Zone of Interest is about. I would be delighted. Um. Auschwitz commander Rudolf Haas and his wife Hedwig strive to build a dream life for their family in a house and garden beside the camp. That is what the Internet Movie Database says the zone of interest is about. Now, this is an adaptation of a Martin Amos uh, novel. But apparently it's very different. Like um, when uh, P.T. Anderson did There Will Be Blood, uh, the Upton Sinclair novel Oil. It, uh, As far as I've read uh, of what the Amos novel is, um, this is pretty much only borrows the title. I, I think only takes the title and maybe some of the some of the mechanics of the novel. But as far as I understand, the, the novel is a fictionalized account of a house that's next to Auschwitz, which has a much more dramatic tenor in terms of like the inner tensions of that house. Um, Glazer's film is actually about uh, Rudolf Haas mm-hmm. uh, and his family. Hedy uh, is the mother played by uh, Sandra Hula. Um, and this is a much more dramatic, um, much more accurate, um, retelling, um, much more based in research in, in actual historical research. I mean, they built the house next to Auschwitz. Yeah. Um, well, the house existed, but it, it was, did. yeah, but they, 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 they literally did it miles like around the corner, basically from it. Yeah. Um, because you can go see that. I believe the house itself is part of the museum that is now there. And um, so they spent a lot of time, a, a lot of times, I think, I think five or six years ago, while they were sort of doing the prep work for this movie, uh, working with the museum structure there and and touring that house and getting it right. And then they spent the summer building that house and the garden next to the wall. Like, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> 
Well, I want to, I want to, if I can, read two just excerpts from two reviews of this film that came out this week from the New Yorker and the New York Times. So Richard Brody and Manola Dagas. Um, Manola writes, uh, "This is a hollow, self-aggrandizing film." While Brody, and I'm going to read this entire uh, piece here, which is a little longer. Uh, this movie is an extreme form of ho hollow kitsch. It's this year's Jojo Rabbit. Glazer's movie is a presentation of nearly unfathomable horrors by the way of bathos, including uh, alluding to enormities in the form of minor daily inconveniences. There's a conceptual audacity in the effort, yet Glazer doesn't display the courage or the intellectual rigor to pull it off su successfully. If he did, he'd have centered the movie strictly on Hedy's and the children's experience and points of view, noting the hints and traces of the death camp in and near the house amid the landscape. The movie, would have, the movie would have shown Rudolph and activity solely through their eyes, thus making the surmises and their doubts or their willful indifferences all the more conspicuous. The movie wouldn't, wouldn't have noted any more details, the horror than they did. There's an interesting tenor to both these reviews that I, that I picked up on, which was, I think it's fair to say, uh, and this, can, this is quite well documented, um, that Holocaust film, or the cinema of the Holocaust, cinema of the representation of the Holocaust, is something that we have seen numerous accounts of. I, I, there's an LA Times article um, that I found where Art Spiegelman, the author of Mouse, uh, was asked about you know to adapt his film. And he was like, why would anyone want to adapt it? There's, there's so many other Holocaust movies out there. And when asked why there was a fascination, he said... Um, the Holocaust is Western civilization's defining trauma and, and an ongoing culture of victimization, the perennial appeal of the Nazi villain and the American desire to have entertainment mixed with education um, is probably a key factor in why there are so many Holocaust films. This is not to say that the subject matter isn't, um, you know, worthy of discussion, but we do see a lot of, we've yeah. seen, you know, most famously Schindler's List, you know, swept the Oscars as well. But, you know, um, there have been many Holocaust films that have won numerous awards at the Oscars. Uh, the Pianist, um, Au Revoir Les Enfants, um, Life is Beautiful, Jojo yep. Rabbit, um, you know, even in recent years. Um, so I guess with that in mind, with the reviews in mind, I'm really curious for you guys, before I talk about my opinion, what you thought, like, how was your experience of watching this movie? Well, you want to start us up? Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, it started with a, a weird ass round of applause for Nicole Kidman. And mm -hmm. then we just sort of sat in like shame and silence for the duration of the film. And I felt uh, it is weird. Um, watching a movie that is watching like routine, that is like not plot, not character. It is watching a routine it is watching like a mundane sort of living existence with just something not right, something happening just outside a frame that you can't see and just how uncomfortable and horrifying, like it just, you know, was making my skin crawl the entire time, but I was like riveted and it was just, set, but also just like with the way that it was filmed, which was like surveillance, everything was kind of at a high angle and it was, we were watching just, you know, characters walk from room to room a lot with, with what looked like surveillance feed. So it was incredibly like voyeuristic to watch. Um, and I, right. You know, using the word liked it liked is an odd word to use for a movie like zone of interest. But yeah, I, I was pretty riveted in this mundane nightmare 
Mm. Uh, this journey to hell kind of where hell is like, oh, this is the bad place, but it's a, uh, it's a garden, you know, yeah. it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I knew nothing about this movie mm-hmm. uh, purposely. Uh, the most I knew about it, Will, was after uh, you, me and one Nicholas Parker went to go see probably the worst film I've seen all year, Argyle. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, holy <laughs> fuck. Don't see it. Wow. Um, the <laughs> we don't have to get into that, but we we afterward, I remember talking to you guys. I was like, oh, there's a 10, 15 or something of zone of interest. I could catch it now. So I don't have to make the trip again. And both of you were like, yeah. J- um, and I was like, OK, I took the advice. And, and then obviously I went a different time. I ran into you, Will. At, you were going to the mystery movie, which was Lisa Frankenstein. Yes. Yes. Uh, while I was waiting for a mac and cheese balls. You took mac and cheese balls into Zone of Interest? Yeah. OK. But, I, but <laughs> the great thing about mac and cheese balls. We're eating coconut cake. We're eating coconut cake. Yeah. No, you don't food shame me. <laughs> um, also, mac and cheese balls are done by the time the previews are over. There's no uh, you don't eat those during the movie. That's the the uh, apartif, the, the you know, thing beforehand. Uh, and then obviously the movie kicks in specifically with a very, 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 very long, uh, beautifully soundscaped uh, black frame. And. Even after that, right after the races, uh, this movie demanded. uh, Okay, I'm going to back up the dumb trope of like, you'll get the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge like that garbage, you know, like that, like thing for like action movies, trying to tell you like you're going to be on the edge of your seat. Uh, That's not real because this movie uh, in its very um hyper deliberate but also minimal action and tone that you experience uh like you said will the horror is right off screen or you're hearing it in the distance but you can see it through every window or the chimneys going or like just all of that stuff i was horrified could not look away and there was a point where i was literally like i'm not going to do it next i'm not enough room but like pushed forward. I was closer to the next seat because I was only sitting on the edge of it. Cause I'm just like, Oh, like, and, and, and I mean the entire time hand on face as I shouldn't be doing, but like, I'm just like, ah, ah, um, it is exquisitely terrifying. Um, not in an obviously horror movie type way, but just a, there are countless horrors of the Holocaust. One that film doesn't explore often is the horror of the benign, the horror of the society or the the general interests of a of a group of people, in this case, a family that are allowing all of this to go on because that's what's normal for them. And then that's how they make their living. And that's you don't like, again, modern media specifically has done a really good job at normalizing Nazis. Um, They are the default bad guy. Uh, And oftentimes when they are used over and over and over again in so many different ways that are not um, deconstructing what it means for for what a Nazi is, what it means to be a Nazi, et cetera, 
uh, they become a generic bad guy. Well, they're evil and we know they're evil because we have this cultural scar and like, yeah, so fuck them. They're evil, this, that, and the other thing and fuck them and they are. But the we very rarely in film see the non Star Wars Empire version of Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never, we don't see, and I'm not even going rank and file. I'm going like henchmen's family members. Like it's, a, you know, Austin Powers has that ridiculous moment in it, but that moment is ridiculous for a reason. We see countless bad guys getting mowed down in movies, Nazis or otherwise. I can't think of another movie that has really looked at the banality of everyday life of the people and the families that are part of and supporting the people that are doing these atrocities. I was not expecting it. Um, the, the filming technique, as you mentioned, will was exquisite. They built cameras into that house. There were 10 minute long takes where they just let the actors go do their scenes. There was a video village that the director and everyone was in. No one was in the house when they were shooting it. It was just, they were in the house and that gave it, I, I couldn't help, but weirdly think of our third movie we ever did or second. The, the, yeah. Uh, oh, no, oh. oh, well, Sun of of course, but yeah. also uh, a pigeon sat on a roof right, right. because they, in that film, they're all dioramas and it's all, uh, farcical, some of which horrific farce in, in, in that. And here it was, it was like, oh, but the horrific farce that we are witnessing is the legit thing that happened and how people lived their lives and took their families to the river to go swimming, uh, you know, until they find uh, a jawbone and realize that the crematoriums the are, are emptying into the river at that specific time. Like there is... So much unspoken nightmare in this movie. And again, like you said, well, and I'll wrap it up here. I, to say you liked it feels weird. This feels like it, it feels important. Uh, it feels, this sounds weird. And I, I don't know if it works. This movie is water. It, you need, you like, it needs like it needs to be seen. You need to have water to live. This is like a, a, a weirdly like a, a spiritual nightmare drink. I'm mixing a lot of analogies here, but like it's not like something that's I enjoy it. It's flavorful. It's like whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. For a healthy society, this existing is good uh, because it's showing what ha- how evil is allowed to happen. I think that's where I'll land. I'm sorry I kind of rambled there, but this is a this is a this is a complicated one. I yeah, I, I mean you mentioned the phrase that I think Hannah Arendt um you know uh, popularized the banality of evil. Yeah. Um, you know, which I think this movie is a entirely an embodiment of. And I think we talked about that in our Son of Soul discussion. Uh Michael Moore um in one of his documentaries, I can't remember which one, kind of made this point about like companies. Uh, profiteering off the war. And there was this, you know, and what what he sort of pointed out, and I, again, I struggle to remember which film it was, was the notion that um, the scale of horror, the scale of horror, the scale of death required a kind of administrative um, skill that was unparalleled at the time. And, you know, the thing that he points to was that um, the, the Nazi party didn't have... Uh, the kind of technical record keeping required. And so IBM made specific punch cards so that they could identify and log and, you know, and, and what all of that points to isn't like, oh my God, IBM's bad and all that sort of stuff. But what, what it points to is like that the level of horror that this event was, 
requires a kind of mundane evil. A mundane infrastructure. Yeah, a mundane, you know, purely uh, procedural, administrative um, horror. And and I think the tension in this movie, by the way, just to say it, I think the movie is astonishing. I, I absolutely, I walked out of there sort of draw agape at how incredible it was. I also read out those reviews because the person I went and saw it with hated the film. Really? Yeah. And so I, I, and we, we talked at length about what, you know, what they didn't like about it and what, and the reasons I thought it was astonishing. Was it like, was it like what the reviews were or was it different? I think the, the, the problem for my, uh, the, the person whom I saw the movie with, and I don't want to put, yeah, 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 of course. uh, is that, is that for them, the actual dramatic tension of what was happening inside the house did not sustain what the technical idea of this film was. So in other words, the idea that the film is showing you the internal mundane workings of this house and beyond the gates are a a sort of hellscape that we only hear didn't sustain, you know, what actually was the tension of the house, which is uh, Haas being uh, transferred to another camp and Hitty wanting to stay in the house. And I, you know, I think that's a fairly valid, valid criticism. They were, their, their sort of idea was that, oh, their sort of commentary was that that felt like a short film and I kind of got it within the first 10 minutes and I didn't really need to see the rest of it. Um, Interesting. Again, don't want to, uh, don't no, no, no. Um, th- that was their opinion. And, and for me, my immediate comment back to that was that I don't feel, I, I didn't feel that this was a movie about people. Because I think identifying with those people is not the exercise here. Mm-hmm. To me, interestingly, the film was about architecture and it was about spaces and the way in which we organize spaces in order to live our lives. And it was fascinating to me to understand how this family navigated and built this space for themselves in and amongst the fact that they were building, or, you know, Haas was building and maneuvering a space next door that was for the destruction of human beings. And I thought, there were really interesting sequences where the family is navigating those spaces in a way that kind of tells us a lot about the banality of evil at, at play here. So at the beginning, I kind of, the question I could sort of, the tension that I was wondering was how much does Hedy know about the internal mechanics of what's going on next door? She seems to be, uh, Sandra Huller's character, she seems to be fairly involved in the in the kind of like day-to-day running of the household as would have been, you know, normal at the time, you know, she was the, the, the female um, mother of the household. And so her job was to kind of organize it. There were, and then there would be like these little touches that would be like, uh, you know, like, uh, does she understand what's happening? And, you know, the, the little touches were that, you know, a bunch of uh, clothes arrive and she, you know, offers the girls to take their pick. And it's easy for them to like, not really understand, well, you know, we're, we're sort of like, do they really understand what's happened to the people who, who these clothes belong to? She takes a coat and there's in, and in it is a, is a thing of lipstick. And I love just this, like, I, for me, love the like little observations of watching her in her room, try on this coat, find the lipstick, return back to the room, you know, check the lipstick out and that sort of thing. And I, I loved all those little details, but there's a, there was a moment that kind of made me gasp, which is when, um, we realize that, uh, and this is full blown spoilers now, but, um, Hitty's mother has come to visit the house has come to stay with the house. She seems aware of what's going on. And then, you know, she says things like, uh, oh, I wonder if my, my Jewish, the, the woman whose house I used to clean, uh, is, is in the, you know, is in the next door. And she says it in a sort of way that like, maybe she doesn't understand what's happening there. And 
And, you know, she says, I, I bid for her curtains and I lost out on the bid for her curtains. Um, but then later, I think we get the sense that she's starting to understand the scale when she looks out the window and sees flames and smoke coming out of there and she decides to leave. And Hedy is very upset by this. She's very, you know, like, why is her mother gone? And her mother's breakfast has been laid out on the table and she's now very upset when she realizes her mother has left the house uh, without telling anyone. And she says to the girl who left the food on the table, and this, is, this has made me gasp, was like, my husband will, will scatter your ashes across the wind or, you know, uh, uh, into the river, which means she did understand, you know, like this entire time, not only did she understand, she was fully aware of the depravity that was going on in there. And yet, and yet, the thing that occupies her thought process, which is the banality of evil that we're talking about here, is that she has been hoping for an upwardly mobile, you know, like to, to, to ascend the classes. And she says in a moment, you know, we have finally achieved the life that the Fuhrer promised us, and I'm not letting it go. This is my house. I built this. And I, I just, I found the, you know, like this, this, this Brody article, which says that Glazer doesn't have the intellect to, to follow through with that idea. I just find that staggering because that is an, is, is, is the exact totality of why a situation like the Holocaust, a Holocaust can happen is this idea that, you know, she has absolutely no ability to empathize, to understand, to see this, the horror that she is, that she is participating in mm -hmm. uh, and directly participating in, you know, like she is actually reaping the rewards of, of the, that horror. And I, well, I want to get just into the final thing here, which is that the, the last sequence where Haas uh, has, uh, you know, he, his success is that he has been entrusted to remove 700,000 Jewish people from Hungary uh, into Auschwitz. And he's going to, he's able to return home. His great triumph is he's able to return home. Um, and he walks down a hallway and he's sick with something, you know, he sees a doctor beforehand and he glimpses into a future that we're aware of. And the film glances back at us and we glance back at it. And, you know, I think uh, After Sun kind of had a similar uh, epiphany about the way in which uh, uh, a story can relate to history and, and the present. And I think what made that what made this really stand out to me in the sort of the cinema of the Holocaust that we have, you know, um, discussed in many, in, you know, even on this show and Son of Saul uh, and Jojo Rabbit is that this navigates that divide between past and present so eloquently. Mm -hmm. This, this movie is fully aware of both its limitations and, and its opportunity to tell this story in a way that hasn't been told before and to show us something that we haven't quite considered, which is, you know, again, the Hannah Ardent um, sort of idea, the banality of evil. And I, I'm staggered by this movie. I'm, I'm, I, 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 can we think of another movie that was this audacious, that, that was this successful in expressing such a complicated idea in such an eloquent way? You know, that's the I I'm I'm flabbergasted by this movie. My my worry uh with the film is in our current uh <laughs> cultural zeitgeist, um all of the things that I think the three of us have kind of said, I feel like there's more deaf ears to fall on these days. Like I, I, the the two reviews you read, uh I'm I'm sure I've read reviews of those people 
yeah. in in the past of things, and we, maybe and, every- and I repeat them with respect. I I think they're excellent reviewers. Um, I, I they might be excellent reviewers. I think I think both of those reviews are. The snippets. Yeah, we're not. You're not reading the entire review, so maybe there's something that I am missing contextually. But that feels like the. Well, I wanted the movie to be this. It felt. You know, does that? We both raised an eye at the line "This year's Jojo Rabbit" because, like, that to, both, that just doesn't feel like. A comparison. I, I that to me, that to me shows a distinct misunderstanding of one or both texts. Mm. Um, and, and again, no slight to the reviewers themselves. It's just that was the thing where I, this is literally what I did in my head, whether it's fair or not. When that line was read, I was like, oh, I don't have to listen to this person. Right. Like I was like, oh, no, like that's ostensibly wrong. Now, right. it, it, opinions are opinions and everyone's got them like assholes and all that jazz and yada, yada, yada. So but like. But what? But going back to my my original point is, I do think everyone that this movie doesn't work for is not like it, this. Movies are different for everybody. Like that's not an issue, right? I worry that something like this, which I think is so powerful, but it, it its power comes in its in its monotony in its slow grind forward because that's exactly what everyday life is even if your everyday life is the logistics of moving a a society and a group of people to their imminent and very industrialized deaths like because we are conditioned in our media to see things faster, harsher, more even visceral in different ways. Not to say that there aren't visceral moments in this is with the score in particular. Holy shit. Mm. Um, but like this movie feels if, if there's one where I have for it, it's not the skill or the deafness that this thing was created with. This is a this is a deft hand. This is a fucking filmmaker and a group of people that know how to deliver the maximum amount of the the experience that they are trying to deliver. That is also a fresh one on well-worn territory. I worry that cultural readiness and 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 access acceptability of something this slow and this i'll use the term in the distance uh will not land as hard as i think it needs to it's you know just one thing that that's interesting is is two observations about the movie that i had one was that i was really appreciative of how short it was it's an hour and a half yeah and i was like wow in an hour and a half this thing (laughs) <laughs> does exactly what it sets out to do. And uh, when you're talking about the mundanity, um, the film that was nominated as the greatest film of all time uh, this year was uh, Jean Dialman. Got the, got the Blu-ray in the other room. And, and actually the mundanity of what these people are doing, there's sequences in this movie that reminded me so much of Chantal Ackerman's film. But isn't that movie like three and a half hours it's long? It's three and a half hours long. <laughs> and, and the length is there to further it. exacerbate and like punctuate the, the mundanity of, of, of her life. And and it does the same effect here, and it's and it's staggering, and it's and the film is filled with little details. The second, uh, actually, there's probably two and a half observations here. Ooh. The second one is that the um, this wouldn't feel out of place in a gallery. This film, you know, mm-hmm. this film would not feel out of place in a museum or a gallery where you could walk in and see it. But 
I have noticed this thing about me. So you're talking about society writ large, but I'm going to talk about myself personally here. Because I spend a lot of time on TikTok. And, and of, you're a part of it. Yeah, I'm part of it. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not <laughs> an important part of it. I'm a major society. part of it, but, I am, but yeah. I'm there. I am society. Yeah. Um, but, He's putting on his Joker makeup yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, um, uh, as I eat my Tom Cruise cake. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I have found there's an interesting thing that is happening, which around TikTok, for example, which is that TikTok is... I understand the appeal of TikTok in the in the way that it replaces television, in that you flick, flick, flick constantly between stories and between moments, and and one second you'll be like, I, today I, I found myself aghast that this happened, but this is this is literally my experience. Is I flicked to a story about a woman who was suffering because her daughter had died and she didn't know how to cope with it, and she was really pushing a you know heartfelt plea to like, please help me, how do I navigate this? And she was really upset. And I stopped and paused and tried to watch it, you know, and watch the whole thing. And then I flicked and I moved on. And, you know, before I knew it, I had moved on with my day, probably 30 videos down the line. And I realized I had left behind the ability for me to sit and wallow in that feeling that I was having, you know, that that that, that communication was having with me. So while I found that this was a movie you could put in a movie theater, uh, in, in a museum, in a gallery and wander in and out of, I was really appreciative. And even, you know, the opening a uh, minute where or whatever it is of of silence is really conditioning you to say you must sit here and see this in its entirety you must not you know half this experience it's an excellent primer because it is it is you know the 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 time that you spend here it has a a totality to it that that tells a story and and that time is important and i and i found that really remarkable I, absolutely yeah cuz absolutely because if right like it 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 goes on long enough where you understand immediately that this is going to require your patience, but yeah. also it put you in the mood. It dropped your heart rate. It, yeah. it 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 kind of like made you sink into your seat a little bit. It 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 was just long enough where you understood exactly what kind of mind frame you needed to like continue mm. in this movie. And I want to I want to give a shout out to the sound design for that particular section because it's just you're outside somewhere and you start hearing different sounds and in the theater I was in specifically like, you know, the surround sound was doing a lot of good work. And it it's hard to keep a a group of adults or children uh quiet for a full minute or whatever that ran for uh completely uh at all. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was in a full theater. And again, Same. I feel like people uh, knew what they were getting into probably more than I did. Um, but even so, I've been to some very serious, deep films where if that was going on, people are talking, people yeah. are doing something, they're shuffling or whatever. This was dead silence. And I think it was just the perfect sound design that helped you, again, drop your heart rate, get you into the thing, tell you you're going to have to be paid. Like it, it, it did so much with so well with very little visually, obviously, but it did all the heavy lifting with what we were hearing. And I just I don't know. I thought that was it's funny as it was happening. I, my brain did this trick. I was like, oh, cool. Oh, fuck you, movie. Oh, no. And then I'm like, wait, like I had the full like, ah, got ya. I'm here now. I'll do this for as many minutes as you want me to. Like, it, it is so nice. Right. When the whole theater is game for what's about mm -hmm. to happen, like especially I. It's my third time saying it now. We all clapped at the Nicole Kidman AMC <laughs> ad, and then we all just like 
drop to silence and we're like, oh no. So you guys went to the third Oops. step, which was to care because it's to laugh, yeah. to cry, to care. <laughs> yeah. uh, that Heartbreak was, yeah, feels yeah. good in a place oh, like this. Yes. It did oh, not feel good, God. but it was needed. Yeah. You know, and something I want to say too about what you were saying about like kind of scrolling through TikTok and like kind of like your attention. I kept like catching myself falling into a concentration of like watching the family at the pool or like uh, gift their father a boat or yeah. the little boy playing in his room. But then we like go oh, like when the kids started like mimicking the noises of that he can hear or like you just keep your head yourself. Oh, this isn't a sweet family moment. Like I'm not watching a Facebook video of a cute heartwarming moment of a family playing. Like I just kept catching myself being like, oh, this is what you're really looking at. Well, like yeah. this is like, yeah. hold it. Like, oh, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm reading a book. What are you doing? Playing with teeth. And yeah. you're like, fuck. Yeah. Oh, they're at the river. Oh, it's so nice. And then, oh, no, that's there's bones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, get out of the. Yeah. Oh, my God. And and the one thing I, I want to say as well is like, and this is maybe a rebuke to my friend who saw the movie as well. I found the narrative interplay, like the, the actual narrative pieces that were flowing through this film were pretty compelling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's there's a stylistic sequence in this film or set of sequences shot on a thermal imaging camera, which are, uh, again, incredible, you know, with an incredible score and horrific to watch, but you, you're not quite sure what's happening to them. And I, I think there's a thing which, which you know, for listeners of the, of the podcast, we could be suggesting, or it could feel like we're suggesting that this is movie is, um, is medicine or is good for you and what have you. It's, it's a really compelling film to watch. Um, in, those, in those thermal imaging sequences, we see a young girl who is dropping apples uh, throughout the entire thing. And, and she is the, you know, what's, what's beautiful there is the thermal imaging is saying, this is the inversion of hope. This, oh, the, the inversion of the horror that we have witnessed throughout the entire thing. This is, this is hope. And one day, and the way I read it is one day this negative will be turned into a positive. You know, like one day this image will become real to us. And, and, there, and it actually does within the film, which is that she is dropping apples. Um, she finds in there uh, a, a tin with a piece of music in it. And she goes and she plays that piece of music. And that music is called Sunflower. And it is a real piece of music that was discovered in the Holocaust. And it is, and it is uh, a piece of music that says, we hope that one day we will be saved from this terror. Mm -hmm. And in a way, the movie is acknowledging in a really beautiful way that that day came, you know, there were, you know, not, maybe not for everyone, but that day did come and there is hope here. Of course, it's punctuated by the fact that the child hears someone about to be killed for eating an apple and we, and he walks over and says, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we, we, we're always, we're never let off the hook. And it reminds me of, um, this thing. So, the, you know, um, Holocaust cinema, I think there's a, I don't think I want to get into this, but you know, there's a potential for us to say that there's some fatigue about this idea of films dealing with the Holocaust. You know, there's been a lot of them, um, and and there was an interesting thing when uh, Stanley Kubrick saw Schindler's List. Um, he saw Schindler's List, and he was in the process of making a, a Holocaust film himself mm -hmm. called The Aryan Papers, and he leaned over to I think the writer of Eyes Wide Shut, Freddie. Um, uh, I, I can't remember the author's name. But I uh, went straight to Fast Bear, and that's not no, right. No, 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 no. And and I think the thing he he said was, um, do people think that that's what the Holocaust that film was about? The Holocaust, in reference to Schindler's List, that was about success, wasn't it? The Holocaust is about six million people who got killed. Schindler's List is about the six hundred who didn't. And and I think what he was sort of pointing to was this idea that 
ultimately, and I heard Terry Gilliam talk about this at some point as well, is like, ultimately, the Holocaust is about the failure of civilization. And any movie that purports to be about the hope of civilization has missed the point of what the Holocaust was. And I look, I also want to say this, is that I love Life is Beautiful. I think Jojo Rabbit really had some interesting ideas on it, and there's nothing... I don't think there's anything uh, off limits in terms of trying to find humor in the situation or trying to find, you know, there have been Holocaust adventure movies or, you know, the Monuments Men, George Clooney's film about trying to save artworks from Germany. You know, like there's sort of literally Indiana Jones punches Nazis. Yeah, there's, there's all ways to tackle this. But I think what's fascinating about this film and what what Glazer has achieved here is that it navigates the complexities of how do we reflect upon the Holocaust. And I think the, the most powerful thing about it is that you could, ar- you could make an argument that a film about the Holocaust coming out right now, given what's happened in the world since October 7th, mm-hmm. you know, um, you could argue that I think the film is smart in that its reflection in one part is about the Holocaust and in the other part is about how human beings can be witness to devastation and accept it. And then, and then how do we navigate that? And I think that makes the film powerful because it, it sort of expands its scope beyond the Holocaust. Now, the Holocaust is, of course, as noted, one of the most defining traumas of, you know, of life that, we have under, that we've understood. There's many others as well. And there's many others that are happening right now that this film, in many ways, asks the question, are we bearing witness without without uh, without doing anything about it. Like, are we in that position? And I think by 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 positioning the film in the way that it does, where we're with this family, it asks a question of the audience. And the final sequence, when Haas stares back at us and we stare back at it, at him, you know, I think is a really powerful, you know, subtle, but like devastating, you know, question that we have to ask ourselves. And I, and I, and I think, you know, I, uh, the Oscars, uh, for all of the things that we talk about, to, hi- to, to highlight this film for Best Picture is, a, you know, is an extraordinary thing. It's, it's a great because more people will see it. There, there were full houses for this film. And I think this is a film that triumphs by being uh, you know, nominated for an Oscar. You know, whether it wins or not, I don't really care. But the fact that more people are going to go see it because of that. I, I, you know, I, I can't talk about um, how incredible... It is to witness a film like this because this is a film for the ages. Yeah, like this is a this is a uh, a, a film that we'll be discussing in a hundred years from now. Yeah, I think I think um, this is it's funny. Like, will to your point before, like it, it's not a good time, <laughs> uh, but the this is something that if at any point someone who had not seen the film. Uh, needed that little extra sort of, I'd be like, oh, I'd watch that. I'd watch that with you. Like, I, like, I, it's a, I, I, I'm, it's like a masterclass in, in, in various subtleties of, of a terrible situation. I, I don't know. Like, it got me thinking back, like you were talking before, like it should be required or it should be like, you know, like water. I mean, you think like required reading, like I think <laughs> about like in eighth grade, my Holocaust like semester, like where we just learn about it and we watch a movie and we watch, Schindler's List. Yeah, is this this is a kind of movie that could replace that in schools to kind of like give that odd perspective, or like a, I just I'm curious to to hear what young people as young as eighth grade would 
who are learning about the Holocaust right now would have to say about something like that. You know what's terrifying is someone in eighth grade or who maybe is not even learning about the Holocaust. Like we, as, as well, me and she are old men. You're, you're, you're a young, you're you're a young, you're a young babe. I'm doing this for class credit. (laughs) (laughs) But like the, we instantly see the fence, the tall buildings and the smokestacks. And we know exactly what we are looking at. Context is required. Um, I don't know if you haven't been educated, like what, like it's like it, it is ingrained in the cult, but like, I don't know what, a t- like uh, not to put this on, no, on you. I think where you're going, I've actually had this experience this week. Okay. So do you want to, <laughs> do you want to go where if, if what you're saying is how do would I explain this film to my son? Well, sort of yeah, like, yeah. like oh, for instance, yeah. My, my first question before that would be, and not that you're showing this film to your son, but if you did, he wouldn't know no, that's, that, what was so, going so, on. So we had this exact experience this week that I could talk to, which was that uh, every day after, anytime I go to a movie, I tell my son about, you know, I went and saw this movie. This is what it was about. This is what I thought about it. Um, you know, these are what I'm going to, why don't you just listen to the podcast? That's one less, that's one less listen. We're getting his attention span. Unfortunately is not an hour. Oh, come on. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, and then I was like, it, it, it came up and I was like, he doesn't know what the Holocaust is. And I have not explained to him that in human civilization and human history, there was a moment and many moments since then and many moments before then where people actively sought to destroy an entire civilization of other people. When I was a, a student, uh, oh no, I, I, yeah, I was a student. I worked in the library uh, at Victoria University for a while. And one of my favorite things to do was like, if I had time off, I would just wander. The, this was before TikTok, by the way. I would wander the library and I would just pick up a book off the shelf and sit and read. And um, I picked up um, a book called Genocide, uh, which is about Raphael Lemkin, who... Um, wandered the halls of the UN trying to convince the United Nations that what was happening in um, in Germany was genocide and, and how to define it. And you think about Raphael Lemkin having to come to come to a definition of genocide. And that happens now as well, by the way, of what's happening in Gaza. We, we sort of, you know, like, is that genocide? How do we discuss it? And it becomes this really strange exercise of like, how do we categorize a certain death? Is it this or is it this? And, and I... I realized my son has no context for understanding what the mass murder of a group of people is. And we, we, we started talking about it, but I also didn't get into religion and, and, and what roles people's, you know, held beliefs um, played in that either. And, and, and I realized that the, the, the conversation is so much wider. We're also, incidentally, um, he's doing a, uh, a project on civil rights and, and, you know, they'd been focusing on Martin Luther King and I, I introduced him to Malcolm X and I started talking to him about Malcolm X and the distinction between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And it was like, you know, it, there's that thing, which is like, as you say, context matters and not having context. And I thought about this in relation to our conversation on Maestro last week. Mm-hmm. So in Maestro, we talked about the fact that, uh, well, uh, that we didn't, neither Matt or I are very well versed in Leonard Bernstein. And so we didn't have the sort of contextual knowledge to understand what made Leonard Bernstein a genius. We understood he was very good at, at music. He's a very notable figure. He's very famous. But we didn't, we were, all, we were struggling with like, what is the context that makes him a genius? Like, why is he better at this than anybody else? And I, I also <laughs> posited, I don't think the movie cares about that particularly, but we were bringing it up. Okay. Well, you could make the same point in, in the zone of interest. 
the movie is not holding your hand to tell you why the Holocaust was horrible. It doesn't even give you context for what the Holocaust is. Oh, of course. But and 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 I and to your point, you know, like I wonder how that's going to play. Now, I would argue the significance of the Holocaust is probably larger than Leonard Bernstein, despite what an REM Safe song. bet. Despite what an REM song <laughs> might tell you. He's uh, only one part of that he's song. He's only one word. One, one but, phrase. But, you know, like, um, uh, the film doesn't hold your hand through that. And and we we have accepted that journey because we understand, you know, we saw Schindler's List. We've, you know, um, we've talked about uh, other movies. We've, we've read history books. Um, and, and I think... Maybe that's an important thing to note here is that the film comes in a long line of films and it contributes and adds and redefines the conversation. And I think that's what is so powerful about it. There's also something interesting too. that phrase you said, it comes in a long line. Everything does like, like, and I, that's not, I'm, I'm, I'm yes. Anding you. I'm not trying to dissuade. Yeah. Like it, that's how you get growth and change as you build off things. And but the, the the flip side, the 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 more complicated side is to build off things. You need the context for the things that came before. Like, well, here's a here's another great example from this podcast, which was that both you and I felt that uh, All Quiet on the Western Front was a film that we didn't understand added to the conversation about right. the horrors of war. Mm -hmm. Like we were like. Yes, war is horrific. We know that. We understand that. What does this film add to What's that? What's the yeah? Yeah, add to that conversation. And I think because we've it, had the experiences of other films or other stories or other books or other whatever and, to get to that point. And you could argue that this film is also in the direct line of a, a long storied history of very prominent films about the Holocaust. But unlike our response to All Quiet on the Western Front, this film transforms and adds to that conversation in a profound way. Well, this film. This film uh, takes what is well-worn cinematic territory and historical territory and shows us in a new way a element that if you stopped and think about it logically, if you could get past the whiz and the bang and the horror and the action and whatever you want to call it of World War II and the Holocaust, uh, that you know had to have existed for this to function real life is not star Wars, etc. Like, but now here's a full hour and a half of exquisite filmmaking, like describing an in intimate, slow detail, the exact machinations of one family in a machine of nightmare, mm. like that we don't get to see. And so it, it did, it added something crazy. Well, you got, you got, Oh, I mean, yeah, you got face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm listening. Uh, um, I, you might have actually mentioned this, but now I can't remember. But it just like reminded me about when the mom comes to visit and she leaves before she. And another reason that she left, yeah, I can't remember if you mentioned it, is she smelled it. She right. smelled it, and mm -hmm. and then that made my jaw drop because I realized the family doesn't smell it anymore. They've right. been there for so long that yeah, the they kids, don't smell it. The kids anymore. think that's what air smells like. They yeah. think that's what air smells like, and the and the mother who's coming in, she's like. Oh, this is death. Yeah. I cannot stay here, but leaves without warning because she doesn't have the conversation. And so, like, <laughs> that's another thing. Like, we can just disappear, you know, I don't know, from the conversation if we want. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Are we like, do we? Uh, I, my brain is well, she's, a, she's an old, she's now, an older yeah. woman as well. So uh -huh. she probably smelt death in World War One. 
and you know, like she's and remind, she's, she's got, reminded yeah. of what this was. And it's yeah, like there's so much to what is going on in this film. And what a what an incredible act of adaptation. You know, like like the the, the basically stripping the novel of everything but the title and and recontextualizing it in such a profound way. This got two nominations. Best picture was the other one screenplay? Was I'm, I'm going to guess be sound. I'm not I'm not exactly sound sure. Definitely yeah, I meant just sound. Yeah. Um but you know, I I also I I just I don't think it's I don't think we need to treat it as educational. I don't think we need to treat it as like uh, medicine or anything like that. I think it is uh, a reminder, a profound reminder of the power of cinema. You know, of the power Absolutely. of filmmaking and storytelling, um, because it's such a abstract idea. I mean, well, maybe not. I mean, the, another thing that really caught my attention was they're they're in a uh, a sort of a meeting. And they mentioned that all the corporations are coming here. Um, and, you know, they mentioned Siemens by name. And, and I went and I was like, oh, yes, of course. And then I went and looked. And if you go to Siemens um, webpage, uh, Siemens website, there is a page that they have dedicated to acknowledging that they profited off the Holocaust and profited from uh, forced labor in the Holocaust. And then I, I followed that down into a, a, there was a list that was published of every company that was involved in the Holocaust. And and what their role was and how they profited profited from it. And these are all companies and brands that we use today, you know. And 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 I think, you you know, that's a common idea. We can laugh it off and we can kind of say, yeah, I you know, Fanta was the drink of the Nazis. Uh, you know, Coca Cola produced it so they could sell in Germany. But actually, what you know, seeing put into action this idea. And I I, I again I fell down the rabbit hole of Hannah Arendt and and uh, you know her book. Uh, Eichmann in Jerusalem. She followed um, Adolf Eichmann's trial in Jerusalem. And she, I, I found a conversation that was published on YouTube uh, of um, that she had with uh, Joachim Fist. And she said this thing that I thought was really interesting. So, you know, the, the famous idea is the banality of evil, uh, how mundane evil is. It's not a, it's not a mustache twirling. It's not a, a villainous sort of like uh, dance of destruction for, for another human being. It's really just an ineptitude, you know, and she talks about Adolf uh, Eichmann, uh, I think maybe some of this has been refuted or not, but she was like, he's kind of dumb. And, and and you know, uh, but she says in this way, he was like, although Adolf Eichmann was quite intelligent, he had this kind of stupidity. This was a stupidity that was outrageous. And what I really meant, and that's really what I meant by, by banality, there's no depth. It isn't demonic. It is simply the unwillingness to imagine what the other person is going through. Yeah, it's a lack of empathy. It's and, It's... It's fucking Donald Trump. It's, and, it's 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 like you, you can be good at one thing, even if that thing is grifting, but then also completely not give a fuck about anyone that is not you. Yeah. And and this film is just such an amazing example of that because here is a family with a father who cares deeply about the well-being of his children and the upward mobility of his family and and his profession and his, he's good at his job and he loves and, cheating on his and, wife and 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 wipes himself down after he also I mean, I mean and also I mean the that is very coded to be rape as well like most likely yeah but but at the same time you know is uh, with dispassionate um, calculation willing to explore the unfathomable, which is the hot air will rise in this room and then it will cool in this room, which means you can load, burn, clean, clean, load, burn. You know, like 
that that is a a horrifying thought that we could discuss human beings in that way. It's the engineering and, of nightmare. It's yeah. it's it's the engineering. It's engineer. It's the engineering of the loss of humanity, both not only for the people who are being killed in that scenario, but the people that are also like the the uh, ethereal humanity of those inflicting that nightmare onto others. Back to what you were saying about architecture. Yeah. Like this is a lot about architecture. There's a big sense of geography in yeah. this of, of the house and the garden and the river, but not the concentration camp, but kind of from that meeting where we go over it. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, it's a clear really- sense. And then we get to see it. And we get to see, and you know, like, I think the beautiful idea here is that um, the preservation of these um, concentration camps and torture chambers is as mundane as was the creation of it. And today, you know, there are people, the idea that we walk in to visit, you know, as a tourist attraction, the place where these horrors were committed um, you know, is, is fascinating. And you, and you, and on TikTok, you see, you know, you've seen people be canceled recently for like taking selfies at Auschwitz and, and like you realizing that that conversation we were just having earlier about the context, not being aware, you know, like, and, and, you know, treating it in a different way is really matters. And, and, you know, in another movie, we talked about this here, holdovers, um, you know, History isn't about the past. It is about today. It is about the present. Yeah. And that's what this film, you know, th- that that I think is the genius of the film as well, is it is about today. You know, it is about the present. It's funny. We do. Um, I'm going to butcher this because I haven't I haven't watched it in a minute. We do. We have a short called The B-Day That Changed D-Day. Right. And it's about why D-Day kind of worked. And it and obviously uh, thousands of people's mental energy went into planning it and figuring out when to storm the beach, etc. But it does break down to one high up German officer not uh, not knowing the right day, going to Paris to buy his wife a pair of shoes, heard that it was going to happen had to try to run back after he heard from central intelligence because he could not get a hold of the people to get them in place early enough to make it actually matter. And there don't get me wrong. There are many reasons why D-Day occurred the way that it did. But one main one is this dude was out of town shopping for his wife's birthday or anniversary or something, and then couldn't get on the phone or whatever to tell troops to do things. The life <laughs> like it, it, people are all it, no matter how fucking evil they are people are people and history is built on a series of moments of people living their lives and it's fucking crazy hmm. um uh I, I feel like i've even butchered that short please go watch that uh uh the b-day that changed d-day it's a minute long it's on t- it, i think it's on tiktok here you can go yeah. watch it on tiktok um <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, my, my I guess my final thought is I do hope that this is a movie that um, a younger generation will have the patience for. And 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 if not the context, then the desire to sort of learn it or that the current generation sets them up for this so that they can be moved by it and and look at the nightmare that humans can inflict on one another from the very benign other side of it, the non mustache twirly side of it, Mm. because otherwise I don't know how these stories don't serve like these stories survive in any way that helps not move that needle. I mean, I don't want to get too fucking dark, but like 
you know, we're seeing nightmares across the globe about it, things seem to be slipping. Mm. And I think that's because the people that remember from firsthand account are slowly moving beyond this life. And, and, and now it is up to weirdly, it used to be about kind of up to society and different cultures, obviously do different things, et cetera. But I'm just going to speak for the United States. It's shitty. Uh, like the education of, of not only even forget global fuck we're doing, we're doing a, um, a piece on sitting bull. We're doing four episodes on sitting bull, right? The fourth episode, this is a bit of a spoilers deals with after, um, little big horn and after, uh, crazy horse and sitting bull take out Custer he goes to Canada, gets ex- exiled, and then he finally comes back and he says he's going to surrender. He has his uh, his nephew or son hand the gun over so like he never surrendered. But the point is then his Indian agent decides to sort of like uh, let him or rent him out to do shows. And eventually he goes into Buffalo Bill's Wild West show where Sitting Bull's only job was to sit in a fucking VIP section and watch a reenactment of Little Bighorn mm. where... Uh, the United States military wins. Right. Yeah. Astonishing how history can be rewritten. Like but that, that's right? my yeah. point. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's insane how, like if you don't have the people or the tools or the, or, or giving or have one group of older people, give a group of younger people, the tools to understand this shit. So much stuff can get lost in the margins. And yeah, I bet you, if you asked a seventh grader and eighth grader today uh, in most places, you know, who are the Nazis? Oh, they're the bad guys in World War Two. Well, yeah, but also there's more context. It's more important because like the second you just knock them down to that, the true horror of what's going on is lost. I, anyway, my point is, I do hope a lot of people see this movie. The Oscars, to Shahir's point, uh, it being nominated is is exquisite in the sense that now more people, I think, will see it. I would never have, uh, you, you know. It never crossed my purview before that. It's hard um, to market. It's it's a hard yeah, movie yeah. to how on it's a hard earth, movie to like make a like, commercial for. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I mean like how do you I saw some yeah posts on like, you know, giving A twenty four flack for like not like, oh, they don't know how to market a movie if they can't make merch for it, which is a half it's true, but also be like, okay, how would you market the zone this, of interest? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like obviously we're not doing merch for the zone of interest, but yeah. like be like you know, the movie can't fit into a trailer. It really can't. And so, you also can't horror movie it up in a trailer either. Like you could listen, there's ways you could cut it together to do it like physically, but it would do the movie and the experience that people be walking into a disservice. Yeah. Um, this is not fucking midsummer or whatever. Oh, like, know. you know, yeah. like anyway, uh, that's my final thought. Uh, Sheer, do you want to do yours? Or I do- mean, I, again, I just, I, I'm glad that we um, delay our best of, you know, uh, when it comes to this. But it also, it, you know, sometimes there are films that are beyond, are clearly beyond the scope of what our conversations can encapsulate, and are really the reason why I'm passionate about cinema. Yeah, and this is one of those movies, and and I don't think it's medicine. I don't think it's like, you know, you should watch it with a, uh, you know, as it's going to be good for you kind of thing. I think it's an extraordinary piece of cinema that is that profoundly will allow you to explore how we live today. I think that's why I chose the analogy of water rather yeah. than medicine, because yeah. water is so much more than that. Uh, sorry, Will, take us home. 
Yeah, see it in a theater if you still have the chance. I I think with the Oscars, they're it's sticking around for a little bit, even in limited release. But if you uh, can't and need to watch it at home, at at home, give it your full attention because it definitely rewards the viewer with a lot of guilt. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. while you're eating your snacks on your couch. Yeah, so, so. A order a coconut cake. Yeah, yeah. Get right. your mac and cheese balls ready. Oh my yeah. god, the shame I fell after eating a whole bag of nerds gummy clusters <laughs> in a movie theater. I was like, oh my God. Oh, well, this has been the only podcast about the film The Zone of Interest. William, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. Where can folks find all the wonderful uh, entertainment that you do? Yeah, I do a lot of uh, fun little things. You can find me doing some crazy uh, stories on Instagram at WTemper. I'm trying to log every movie I see on Letterboxd, also WTemper. Nice. Uh, pretty much WTemper on all socials. All right. Shahir, when you are not delivering us the most delicious uh, <laughs> confectionery delights that one Mr. Tom Cruise would send himself on the most appropriate days, where can folks find you? You can find me sending out a happy Hanukkah to you on my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com or on my company site, Suvanova, S-U-V-A-N-O-V-A. Uh, Matt, when you are... Um, providing recipes for the greatest accompaniment for the zone of interest, mac and cheese bowls. Where can people find you? You can find me being sponsored by Kraft over at my website, which you shouldn't go to. It's my name.com, but you should check out Extra History. Specifically, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, we actually have a decent amount of content sort of around, um, uh, well, we do a ton of world history, but the World War II stuff, what we try to do specifically is actually tell stories about people most times as opposed to just like, and this is how the war happened. Right. Uh, because I think that's far more interesting. Again, our Sitting Bull series will be out the week after this airs, unless you're on Nebula, which you can sign up for from us in the link, and it helps us out, so please do that. <laughs> um, I'm sure you might have heard a Nebula ad. Oh, God, ad. what would be the Nebula? Would there be a Adam and Eve? What would be the Nebula ad that came on this while we were oh, talking? So, so, sorry, this <laughs> week, I, 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 uh, th we are running Nebula ads this, <laughs> this month, so okay. this is a Nebula ad, not an Adam and Eve ad on the zone of interest. Wow. To no, what, I mean, fine. What you know, tonal like, dissonance still? Yeah. That'd be a third, a third flavor. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Next week, American fiction, baby. American fiction. Yeah. We're, we're wrapping out the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, and then we should do a few more. We should do a few more movies. <laughs> uh, I want to. I, I know you have the whole list. I want to see Dune. Uh, I want to never talk about Argyle again. Dune two popcorn buckets are on sale now. Will <laughs> brought the Dune two popcorn bucket here. Can I tell me. you what would be the most amazing thing? Stuff that Dune popcorn bucket with white chocolate coconut cake and then jam your hand in there and mush it around. Oh my gosh. It's the new, is it cake? Is it, is it cake? I would love that. Make a video, please. Oh my gosh. That's like a, that's like the, the, the Dune Tune press tour. Should, someone should have things a, you can put inside literally the Dune bucket. Like it's, it's just a line of Dune buckets and it's what's in Dune that bucket? Dune bucket. <laughs> 
The, this so is like, a show you could pitch. And they're this right. Like I know I, I work for a, a big conglomerate that interviews celebrities, and I don't I don't know the team that I need to email to pitch this, but someone needs to do it. So is it Jello? I think the Dune Two cast would be like. I think Josh Brolin is on record saying I'm not putting my hand in there. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, Chalamet mean, and Zendaya, maybe Florence yeah. Pugh. She would have a lot of fun doing. Listen, that. Josh Brolin has had to deal with a lot of stuff with hands getting chopped off, so maybe not. <laughs> He's absolutely no. He's done with it now. All right. Well, we will uh, round out our Oscar list next week. Until then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.